These are the closing moments of the 1A final of the Auckland Secondary Schools Rugby Tournament in August. Calston beat St Peter's 24-22, taking consecutive titles. And we can hear this because the match was broadcast on Sky Sport. Thousands of people around the country watched it, probably tens of thousands. But when this fixture happens next year, things will be a bit different. Now, Auckland First 15 Rugby won't be broadcast live next year after secondary school principals agreed putting games on television was affecting the well-being of students. This decision caused some consternation. More work, more of the cancel culture. The decision is incomprehensible. It also won its share of support. Yeah, very responsible decision. Very good decision. Should have been made ages ago. There's enough pressure on that without adding pressure with it's been broadcast on television. Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, arresting the slow but steady commercialisation of school sports. Preparing young athletes for the extraordinary scrutiny that comes with professionalism and ensuring that schools are focusing on the things that matter. Heath Mills is a former secondary school teacher who's now chief executive of the New Zealand Cricket Players Association. A couple of years ago, he wrote an article for the New Zealand Herald warning about the widespread televising of school sport. When school sport was put on TV, I think, for the first time, well, actually, we're probably going back four or five years, I and and other people in our office, which includes all the player associations, were, were quite vocal in our concerns about youth sport, effectively, being put on TV, but probably more specifically being commercialised. I think the commercialisation of youth sport and school sport is the biggest concern we have. And of course, putting competitions and matches and series at at youth level and school level on TV just exacerbates that issue. The TV removal thing, is that a big enough step? No, I don't think it's a big enough step. Uh, I, I, I... as I've said previously, that there needs to be a national discussion uh, about the commercialisation of youth sport. How good. First 15 revision is back for 2021 and we decided to go big. We started off our coverage in Wellington for some pre-season matches, the Presbyterian Quad Tournament. I told you we were going big and we definitely went big with the commentator. We got Adi Savir for his very first call. Let's see what his chat was like. I'm not sure who should lead that discussion. I used to think that that should be the government and its representatives. I don't think that anymore. Sport is, is, a, is a fairly divided industry. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a myriad of stakeholders, schools, clubs, regional organisations, national organisations, professional sports teams. There's no one overarching organisation that has, I guess, jurisdiction or, or control or influence over the industry, and, and that's probably a good thing. But I, I still think we need to have a conversation about it. it, it, it at the player associations... We have to deal with the kids who make it when they get out of school. And that is a very, very small percentage of those who are trying who actually get to the professional ranks. And a lot of the time, they're broken. You know, not, not all, uh, but they're coming out of environments where there's a lot of pressure from a really young age. They're exposed to media, social criticism and abuse. You know, we, ha- we deal with black caps white ferns, all blacks, silver ferns in in the office. And it's hard enough for them to deal with the criticism and abuse they receive. 
let alone a 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old kid. Um, so they're often got issues from the pressure they've been put under at a really young age. They struggle with their identity because they've been known as Rob the athlete or you know, Heath the cricket player forever in a day, and that's how they get to get their identity. You have uh, young kids coming through who are almost tired of sport. <laughs> yeah, they've been worked very hard uh, whilst they're at school and in some of the environments. They see it as the only career option. So when it's the only career option and all they've been built up to be by family members and everyone else in their lives, that's a real problem when they get into the professional ranks and they and they actually realise it's going to be very hard to get a contract and certainly one of value that's going to sustain me for the rest of my career. So that's when um, the mental health issues occur. Anxiety, yeah. precariousness. Cor- yeah. Correct. Um, so that, that's what we see. But also the physical, the physical issue, I think, is getting getting more pronounced in some sports, not all, but some, where you've you, you got 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids needing multiple surgeries and operations and being managed into academy programs, not hitting the ground running. That doesn't seem right to me. Um, so, And look, we also have had, uh, in, a, in our office, supported um, some parents and some kids at school in some sports where the abuse they receive via social media, even the media in general, has had a profound effect on them as individuals. You know, you know some of the some of the like their kids, their kids playing school sport, the social media pile on for those young people is horrendous. Mm. No one can tell me that that is healthy. And anyone who says who just brushes that off and says, "Oh well, that's just part of the development to become a professional athlete," they've got to harden up has never, ever been exposed to those environments or that sort of abuse in their life before. But, and I am, I'm sympathetic to that. At the same time, is there not an element of that that is actually true? It might not be good, but the reality is social media and that level of scrutiny is actually a part of becoming a really, really good athlete these days. And if you are going to be a professional athlete, you actually have to learn how to deal with that. The genie's out of the bottle now. I guess there is an argument that... Being exposed to that earlier and, and learning to deal with it and having good support structures around you to help you deal with it should be more important than trying to go back to a pre-social media world because that ain't going to happen. So the key, the key point you made there is having the support structures around you to deal with that. Notwithstanding, I'm, I don't believe that it's in any young athlete's interest um, to be exposed to that stuff at 14, 15, 16 and 17. It's, that, that, that makes no sense to me. And I'm not convinced learning that learning to deal with that at that age will help you become a better professional athlete at all. In the professional environment, if I look at the, the, the cricket, if we look at the Cricket Players Association, we have six full-time personal development managers who aren't part of the high-performance team, who case manage 35 players each, male and female, and they look after their health and well-being, their personal development, their career outside um, the sport. So from the day you become a, a contracted player, you are having a conversation with an independent person who is not interested in your performance as a cricket player about what career you're developing outside the game and they're pushing and cajoling you. That is not happening in school environments. We want good sport programs in our schools and I really support our schools wanting to put good coaches in their environments and to expose our young people to, to good skill development competitive environments and learning to win or lose. I will never recall from that sport is competitive and it, sh- and it should be approached that way. But there's a difference between um, that and then overlaying it with a commercial program and the commercialisation of it, where you might have 
coaches employed on six-figure salaries who aren't teachers, their entire focus is on winning because that's how they retain their job. You have sponsors now involved. Why are they involved? People will say, because oh, I want to give back. Well, that's, that's right to a point. But they're doing that because there's some value, value and they want to return. You have everyone else now, agents, all sorts of other people now interested in what's happening and having conversations with young people about, well, if you do A, B, C, D, E or F, I can make you into a professional athlete. Sure. So all that comes with the commercialisation of the sport. Yet there's no one equipped in those, or very few people equipped in those environments to deal with it. And one of the things I, I like about what the principals have done in Auckland with the, with the rugby competition is they're smart people. They're good people. They're our best educators. No, no question, I know a number of them. They're, they're good people. Um, but I think they've, they've, they've learned and they've started to understand this is actually not what we want in our environments. Yeah, well, they've got other things in their life apart from playing rugby. You know, they're, hopefully they're going to pass a few examinations and get a good, solid education. Uh, they might have other interests in their lives as well. And it's good to have the balance right. And just by having um, broadcast television, I think it puts pressure on the individual. Ollie Ritchie is a sports reporter with News Hub. You were a high school rugby player. I was. What was it? You, a the... formidable one as well. <laughs> right. I chose journalism over a potential <laughs> career in rugby. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. What position did you play? I played halfback. Did you? Yeah. You're a... You're a big fellow for a What are you, six foot? No, not quite. Five eleven. <laughs> Thank you for being... I was told when I was younger that I would be six foot. Thank you for and being I, honest about that. I haven't quite, yeah, I haven't quite <laughs> topped that. So, uh, quite a sore point. Christchurch boys high? Yes. First 15? boys high, first 15, yep. And what, you graduated high school 2010? 2011. 2011. Yeah. Right, so y- you would have played in front of cameras. Yeah. Yeah, we were one of the first years to, to play in front. I think 2010 might have been the first year. There might have been a couple in 2009, but 2010 was the first kind of main year, I think. And then, yeah, we were in 2011. Do you remember the first game that you played that was on Sky Sport? I do. Tell me about it. It was like we were rock stars. <laughs> you know, like we were, and it was building up to the annual Christ College match, uh-huh. which you'd know all about, of course, being from Christ College, uh-huh. unfortunately. Um, right so, on. you know, that's a big enough deal at Boys High as it is. And then during the week at training, we had the Sky cameras come in and they would film yeah they would film training and they'd interview the captain and um you know film you know bits of us around the school and stuff like that is kind of like their build up to it and it was like yeah this is insanely cool i mean you're you work for new sub yeah you work for tv Mm -hmm. so you're clearly used to cameras Mm -hmm. um but like did it take some getting used to well back then i wasn't used to cameras yeah you know at high school i wasn't used to them I mean, I grew up with a, a mum who's a journalist and a dad who's a cameraman. So in some ways I was used to them, but not in that way. Was it weird, though, having cameras yeah, filming well, you? Yeah, kind of, but like kind of cool at the same time. Uh, because it was just like, oh, this must be what it's like for the All Blacks. Because, I mean, one of the interesting things about this wider story is that there isn't much reporting on what the players think of all of yeah. this. And instinctively, I would I would think that 17, 18-year-old rugby players, good rugby players, would absolutely froth yeah, at the prospect of playing exactly. on TV. Yeah, I, and of course they would, and they 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 should. That's kind of normal, right? Like you're you're playing on Sky Sport to a big audience. You know, you've got actual commentators commentating you. Mm. You know, it feels more professional than just than just high school rugby, which a lot of people will never get to experience. Mm. So you can understand why they'd like it. Then again, a lot of seventeen, eighteen year olds might also want to be on Love Island. 
doesn't mean it's a good idea. That's true. I I hope there's not too many of them <laughs> out there because that 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 shows terrible. Maybe they should aim for something like MasterChef. <laughs> Something you like see that. The, you see the point, though, right? Like, yeah. that, that just because you think something's going to be fun and, and and exciting doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's a good idea. Well, I would love to see the evidence of this being a bad idea, and why it's been a bad idea in terms of broadcasting rugby games. From what I understand, and it's a very small sample size, but some people that I've spoken to who have kids who play first fifteen level rugby, it's like. It's just sort of how I've described. It's like, yeah, they just they kind of love their fifteen minutes of fame, and for the really good ones, it exposes them to, you know, potential scouts for for Super Rugby sides and for higher honours and stuff like that. It, it, it puts them in front of, you know, those guys. But at the same time, you know, if you're good enough, you're going to get picked up anyway. You know, you're going to be spotted. So I, I, I'm yet to hear someone come out and say, yeah, my son suffered. Big time from this happening. Well, I mean, that's interesting, eh? Like, the whole premise of this decision, it seems, is that there is a huge amount of pressure on top-level high school athletes, and the broadcasting of games accentuates that pressure. Do you think that's just an external perception? I don't know. What do you you think? I think it is. You know, I think it's just... I think that's kind of... People assuming with, and I think the rise of social media yeah. is a massive part of this. You know, when I was playing in 2011, you know, there was maybe a bit of Facebook and that was about it, but you know, there wasn't really social media. It wasn't that big yeah. when I was playing. It's deep. It's, it's game, the game's changed now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, you've probably, you've got these games that maybe have the, the highlights posted on Facebook and Twitter and Bits of and bits and bobs from the games are posted on these platforms, and so maybe you're exposing them to the you know the online trolls, which you know could start criticising these guys and treating them like they're all blacks. But is this based on evidence of that actually happening? Mm. I'm yet to hear anything that suggests it is. I very much think it's trying to put the cork back in the bottle. All these years ago, these Auckland One A principles were all for broadcasting matches and, and, you know, essentially making money off these first 15 teams, selling front of jersey sponsorship, marketing themselves as the place to go if you want your son to be playing good rugby and playing first 15. You know, they were kind of marketing themselves as these schools. You know, St. Kent's in Auckland is a great example of that. For these principals to now turn around and say, actually, we want to go back to the, the grassroots of rugby and what rugby's all about and we don't want the pressure of Sky, well, you know, where were you a few years ago when you were making money off this or, or marketing yourselves as this to try and get kids along to your school? It has been notable, the lack of comment from the principals themselves. Very Probably because they don't want to answer those sorts of questions. Yeah. you know, And, and it, it's disgraceful from the principals to put this out and make this major decision and then say, sorry, we're not available to take any of your questions on this. See, see press release. I mean, that's just kind of comms 101, isn't it? You said something interesting earlier that I, I wanted to ask you about. You said, um, I don't really see how the negative effects of this are, are such that this decision's being made to pull the games from, mm. from TV. But flipping that on its head, is the counterfactual not the benefits of it should be obvious enough to justify it? What are the benefits of having top-level First 15 sport broadcast on TV? Well, from one perspective... It's, you know, these, and I've, said, I've talked about this already, these teams that are 
that are selling front of jersey sponsors and all that kind of thing. Well, there's a benefit for the school. And I suppose from a playing perspective, it puts you in front of Super Rugby Academies, NPC Academies, the chance to shine on a national level and put yourself in the frame, mm. essentially. And I'd be intrigued, and I don't know, don't know the answer, but I would be intrigued to know from these Super Rugby sides or these NPC sides how many of these boys have been plucked out from first 15 games being broadcast. Yeah. Because the old, you know, go and sit in the stands and watch it live um, still exists. One game on TV, you know, one good game on TV doesn't mean that someone's an absolute star. Mm. But it does give them a little bit of exposure and it does put them in front of, you know, some scouts that might help them. Do you think there's an argument that one of the reasons that this has become a really big issue is because club sport has been more or less cannibalised by secondary school sport. You know, the super rugby teams are offering, and the provincial teams are offering contracts to kids who are still in high school. Do you think that the erosion of club sport has contributed to the problems that we're seeing today? I think that's a really interesting question. I will probably get myself offside with a few people here. I think the whole club versus school debate is a real red herring to the issues. You hear a lot, uh, in in what I describe as the organised team sports, people from the amateur community environments bemoaning schools for what they do and everyone should play at the rugby club, everyone should play at the cricket club. I don't buy into that at all. Uh, Schools have had a huge role to play in our sport development system for 100 years and done an exceptional job. They have amazing facilities that the sports don't have, government-funded. They have more resources. They have more resources. Most importantly, they have a captured audience. Everyone has to go to school. (laughs) You actually got to make an effort to go to the sports club. We should be supporting and encouraging and helping them where we can. 20 years ago, uh, everyone went and played, went back to their clubs. Mm. That's because there was nothing else to do. I'm old enough to remember when shops weren't open on the weekend, mm. on Saturdays or Sundays. I'm old enough to remember up here in Auckland, there was no viaduct. There was no entertainment hub around Sky City. You know, the, if you wanted to socialise on a Saturday, you went to your local sports club, right. the rugby club, the cricket club, the netball club. They were thriving. So you see, you see clubs as like the idea of clubs as part of the pipeline to professionalism is actually from a bygone era. I think so. Right. I think the bigger the, the the question, the what we need to understand is young people today are not as attracted to organised sport mm-hmm. like they used to be last century. Now, when when I was involved, and it was was the place, the only place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now they have so many other options. In fact, there's been quite an obvious creep, as I describe it, towards just individual sports. You see more people today out riding bikes, running, doing adventure-type racing, playing the golf, because they can do it at a time that suits and works for them. Mm. The challenges for organised team sport, how do we keep people participating well into their 20s and 30s? And the schools are in a great position to instil a love because, as you said, they have a captive audience. At least they're going to instil a love, as you say, and an engagement in the sport. Removing sport from schools would be an utter disaster. Uh, That is the captured audience. They have the facilities. They have the resources. I think the government needs to do more to help them. But to think that 
there should be no school sport and everyone's going to go back to uh, to sports clubs. That, that That's fairy tale stuff. Um, that's not going to happen in a modern society. And, and whether we like it or not, Kiwis are... are We've always been great participants and doers and prided ourselves on that. But if you look around the world and a lot of the other countries, most of the biggest sports in the world, people don't play post-school or university level, but they're well engaged. And I think that's the most important thing we can do is keep people engaged, loving the sport, creating heroes. Then the very best athletes will keep playing, but most importantly, people will encourage their kids to get involved. What I would welcome is the schools getting together and having a conversation with people that I would describe as experts who understand the professional environment of sport really well and the impacts on athletes. How do we want our kids to be uh, experiencing sport when they come into our environment and how do we want to be exiting them, whether that's a a Kane Williamson, a, a Sam Kane or someone who's going to end up hopefully playing a bit of club sport or even finishing after school but loving sport for the rest of their lives. What environment do we want to create to ensure we're producing well-rounded, well-balanced individuals uh, leaving school who love their sport and reflect on great experiences? Maybe we should be having a conversation with the Ministry of Education. I'd have it with them and certainly not with Sport New Zealand about, okay, what can you be doing to help support sport in schools and the the huge amount of work and resource and, and programming that goes on outside the classroom, because I think there is more that can be done. There has been more, can be more resource put in schools to at least discuss these issues, ensure these issues are thought about when decisions are made. There's a there's a lot you could do, but I don't see anyone bringing the right people together. I don't want to bring a lot of bureaucrats together. We've got enough of them in sport throughout the country, consultants, advisors, and all sorts of people who give views that they don't do. Um, How can we bring a few experts together with the right leaders within our school environment principles to have a national discussion about this? Yes, it will be hard. Yes, some schools will push certain agendas, but if we get a collective together, we can hold each other to account. Some individuals need to stand up and show some leadership, and there might be some the government level, but at the end of the day, it's the school principals need to stand up and say that we, we need to do more, we can do more, we actually can make these environments better. Yes, we want to be competitive, yes, we want to give our kids great experiences, yes, we want to be a good sports school, that's all great, but we want these environments to be exiting good people who can thrive in sport or whatever they choose to do when they exit our doors. That's it for today, I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Sarah Robson. Bonnie Harrison is our associate producer. And thanks to Heath Mills and Ollie Ritchie. Matewa. <laughs>